This is a crowd podcast. Sweet Janice Joplin. She should never have strayed so far from the apple tree of her youth. But here's the thing. If she was still with us, surely she'd say, what chance did I have? Janice races through her life. She's always on the run from something, chasing everything. Especially that bright, elusive butterfly of love. That little line? It's a hit for Bob Lind in 66, and maybe he wrote it for Janice. Lind is one of the wandering minstrels of the 60s folk and rock scene. That summer, he's up and down the West Coast plugging the song that made him famous. There's one night he can't forget. He's standing near the stage at a Jefferson Airplane gig in San Francisco. And then he sees her, this woman that blows him away. Here's what he says. I turned around and there's the ugliest woman I'd ever seen. But by the time she hit the stage, she was somebody else. The electricity just shot out from under her. It was pure magic. Ah, the 60s. A good time, if you're a man. But why Janice? Where does the magic come from? And where does it go? It's her curse to be good at being bad, bad at being good. Old enough to know better, but too young to resist. There's a handful of spaced out summers, a couple of hits. Like Elvis a decade before, she conquers rock and roll, but she can't outrun it. What chance did Janice ever have? This is Death of a Rockstar, Janice Joplin. Fort Arthur's an oil refinery town, east coast of Texas. Small place, big weather. Storms in winter, heat in summer. Simmering all the time. In January 1943, another storm blows in. Hurricane Janice. Baby Janice will bring sunshine into the lives of Seth and Dorothy Joplin. She'll bring dark clouds too. The first of three kids and the first to die. Seth's an engineer with Texaco. Dorothy's a registrar at a business college. Seth's one of those straight up guys who won't have a TV in the house. So the Joplins listen to the radio. Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, Glenn Miller, Ella Fitzgerald. And on Sundays, they go to church. Poor Arthur? It's a dump. A backwater town that started life as a rail terminus. Destination? Anywhere else. There are dark corners, too. More brothels than coffee shops and libraries. Gangsters leave bribes and envelopes on the front seat of police cars. Kickbacks are a way of life. Some people call Poor Arthur the wickedest town in Texas. Racists get a pass. Women know their place. That stormy January, Seth and Dorothy hear Sinatra at number one in the charts. It's a song called There Are Such Things. Here's what he sings. Have a little faith and trust in what tomorrow brings. You'll reach a star because there are such things. Maybe the family hold on to that line. Janice sleepwalks, and that scares her mother. One night, she asks Janice where she's going. I'm going home, 
she says, I'm going home. At 15, Janice is reading Jack Kerouac. Everyone is. The lost kids, the cool kids, the ones walking out and looking for something new. Janice is a smart kid, but she doesn't fit in. Not in this town of jocks and churches and fear. She's got acne scars on her cheeks, no confidence, she drinks, and she smokes dope. Her cheeks get puffier and wrinkled. Her eyes go from bright to dull, and she finds friends hard to come by. The ones she does find recaract too. They listen to Lead Belly, Peter Paul and Mary, Harry Belafonte, maybe Sir Marty Shaw. And she has other friends on her turntable, Bessie Smith, Ma Rainey, Big Mama Thornton, and of course, Ella. Janice hears that Ella Fitzgerald and Dizzy Gillespie got arrested for playing dice in a dressing room at the Houston Music Hall in nearby Beaumont. And she knows Steve McQueen's working as a bouncer in a local brothel. Port Arthur's a wicked town, remember? Janice is getting herself some new friends now, but these ones are the sort who come and go quickly. Slut, whore, you freak, Joplin. That's what her classmates shout as she walks alone along the corridors of her high school. They throw pennies and insults at her. She keeps her head down, goes home, and cries into her pillow. I was a misfit, she says. I read, I painted, I thought. There was nobody at school like me. Women's liberation is moving across America now, but not in Port Arthur, not in Janice's street. She's still living by the old rules, the ones made by men. Janice reads and rereads On the Road, the big Kerouac book. It makes her restless. So, in 1960, she makes her way to California, and she loves it. But it's back home in Texas, New Year's Eve 1961, when it all really begins. At the halfway house in Beaumont, Janis Joplin gets up to sing in front of an audience for the first time. Her voice is rough and scary. There's no volume knob, but she's got a vocal trick. She can sound like she's singing alongside herself. She doesn't sound like she looks, and that's a good thing to Janis. The audience? They seem to like it too. Janice feels it. This is it. The way out of Port Arthur. Now, we've got to do a quick ad, but I'll be back in a moment to tell you all about what happens next. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Hello, it's Tom Fordyce here. I'm one of the writers on Death of a Rockstar, and I do hope you're enjoying the series. I wanted to tell you about BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses in life, big and small. A lot of the people I wrote about for this series absolutely did. And as we know, if we keep those stresses bottled up, it can impact us negatively. That's where therapy can be great. Therapy isn't just for people who've experienced major trauma. It can help you understand the way your brain works and why you feel a particular way. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. 
All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Rockstar listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. That's betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Welcome back to Death of a Rockstar. This is the story of Janis Joplin. It's the summer of 1962. Janice is in Austin, Texas, just four hours' drive from her home. She's there to go to university, but that's not her priority. She moves in with some beatniks in a place called The Ghetto. She sings and plays auto-harp with a bluegrass band. She's up for pretty much anything. Tries peyote, then secondal, America's downer of choice in the 50s and 60s. They say she's the first girl at the University of Texas to throw away her bra. Finally, she feels free. But the bastards of Texas aren't done with her yet. Other students enter Janice in the ugliest man on the campus contest. They pin posters of her on every tree. Always those dark clouds. It's two years since she left high school and she reckons it's time to write her first song. She understands that her black musical heroes know real suffering, real cruelty. But she wants to pour her sadness into the song so she can own it. And you can bet she's got the blues. The blues are always there. She calls it, What Good Can Drinkin' Do? Here's what she sings. Oh, give me whiskey, give me bourbon, give me gin. Cause it don't matter what I'm drinking, Lord, as long as it drowns this sorrow, I'm in. Her boyfriends last as long as the leaves on the trees, and when the door shuts behind them, there's the sound of the cork being eased from another bottle of cheap wine. When she gets scared and worried, there's something she tells herself. Janice, just have a good time. So, she juices up, and that's what she does. Time is suspended. Tomorrow never happens. She says, It's all the same fucking day, man. It's just after her 20th birthday now, early in 63. Janice is singing in a gay coffee bar in North Beach, the little Italy of San Francisco. She's been searching for a place like this, 
a place to be different, to be accepted. There are zapped out poets in every corner, gay men, lesbians, busted musicians, dopers, writers. Some have talent, some don't have money for a cup of coffee. Once, this was where Kerouac, Ginsberg, and those other wild minds of the Beat generation hung out. And in 63, North Beach is trying to be the center of 60s radicalism. There's other stuff there too. Misogyny. Good old-fashioned horseshit. For every singer and writer, there are a dozen agents waiting to cash in. It's not Pleasant Valley Sunday, whatever the cool cats want to think. But it's definitely not Port Arthur. So, Janice loves it. She reads Herman Hesse and Nietzsche. In this hippie fairyland, she finds space. Emotional space. Creative space. It takes maybe a year for reality to kick Janice in the teeth. After downing a heavy cocktail of drugs, she begs a San Francisco hospital to take her in. They turn her away, so she goes home to her mother. Now she's trapped between Texas and California. Either she's safe and bored, or vulnerable and excited. She craves acceptance, applause. She thinks it's the same as love. Tells her mum, ambition isn't a desperate quest for position or money. It's just love, lots of love. Her innocence is gone, but the softness remains. What keeps her going is her music and her voice. There's nothing like it. Some love it, some don't. Critics write her off as a stoned banshee, but if she's going to get out of these blues alive, she'll have to scream her way to freedom. Janice lands a spot at the Monterey Folk Festival. It's a minor disaster. She's beaten up in a street brawl, arrested for shoplifting, crashes a motorbike. Her preferred mind blow now is speed. She can't slow down, doesn't want to. And Janice is still searching for gear, for love, for understanding. She's not so choosy either. One day she waves at a girl in the window of a house across the road. The girl waves back. And just like that, they fall in love. Her name's Peggy Caserta. Here's her version. I was stark naked, stoned out of my mind on heroin, and the woman lying between my legs giving me head was Janis Joplin. Except Peggy says she never wrote that. Her ghostwriter did. Forty years later, Peggy tries to put the record straight. Janice wasn't gay, she says. All she ever wanted was to get married and settle down. Janice was never going to do anything that her parents didn't approve of. That's not how Janice sees it. She says, Texas is okay if you want to settle down and do your own thing quietly, but it's not for outrageous people, and I was always outrageous. She tries to go straight to please her mother, puts her hair in a beehive, eats well, sleeps well. But it's not her. The other stuff is. It's June 1966. For the first time, Janice performs with a band called Big Brother and the Holding Company. It's the Avalon Ballroom, and it's heaven for her. All of them, Janice, the band, wives, girlfriends, the lot, move into a big house in the San Geronimo Valley. For a while, life's cool. Janice is cleaned up. 
healthy, eating good. Her new friends say the dealers and pimps won't be back, promise they'll keep her away from the drugs she knows might be killing her. But her new friends double-cross her. They lie. When they can score, they all sink a syringe or two. And by now, Janice has stopped saying no. All she wants is a hit, in the charts or in her arm. Makes no difference. Maybe one decent boyfriend would be nice. There are plenty of candidates, but they don't stay long. Jimi Hendrix, Leonard Cohen, Eric Clapton, to name a few. And they say Bruce Springsteen ran a mile from her. After a gig in Jersey, he yells, Help! She's after me! Then there's the famous Jim Morrison car park fight. As legend has it, Janice and Jim met at a party organized by their promoter, Paul Rothschild. Morrison's out of control. He's obnoxious, on the prowl for someone to fuck. He thinks he's irresistible. Janice is intrigued, but no more than that. It gets heavy. She escapes to the band's road van. Morrison staggers after her and reaches inside, begging her for sex. He grabs her by the hair and yanks hard. Without having to look too far, she finds a bottle of Southern Comfort. She smashes it as hard as she can across Morrison's drunken head. He reels away and falls flat on his back, out cold in the car park. Because here's the thing, the rotten, ugly truth. The 60s that Janice knows, it's not for women. It's for self-indulgent, swinging dicks with recording contracts and egos. For greedy managers and lucky roadies. For doormen, cops, athletes, TV suits. This charade is what Van Morrison calls the great deception. It's a world of plastic revolutionaries, fakes, liars, opportunists. The glamour? It's a sham. All around Janice, America's burning. Vietnam split the country. Drugs are melting student brains on every campus. There's race riots. It's not that Janice doesn't care about any of this, but she struggles to get out of her own stupor. She's as helpless as the kids who think she's their leader. But then, when she looks like she's sinking for good, she comes alive like never before. Over three days in June 1967, the Monterey Pop Festival becomes part of rock history. The Who make their American debut. The Animals, Jimi Hendrix, The Mamas and the Papas, Otis Redding, Jefferson Airplane, The Grateful Dead. Man, this is rock heaven. The world knows about flower power now. This should be the age of hope, the summer of love. And no star shines like Janice. Sitting front row is the mighty Mama Cass. She can't believe what she's hearing. It's Janice singing a gut-tearing version of Ball and Chain. And the whole world stops. That one song, that one performance launches Janice Joplin into the stratosphere of rock and roll. Her album hits the shops in 68, goes gold in three weeks. They blitz New York. This is shaping like the Beatles. Janice writes to her mother back in Port Arthur. From all indications, I'm going to become rich and famous. Incredible. Then, in 69, when she's just about the biggest thing in rock, she plays Woodstock. It's the concert that everyone sees, that defines the 60s. 
but she's been parked in the graveyard slot of 2 a.m. They don't trust her. She wanders through her set wrecked. Janice bombs it. She still wants to please, though. She doesn't want to let people down, to disappoint the millions of fans who think she's a goddess. So, she asks us to be cut from the festival film. And they say no. Because to them, Janice is still box office. They need her name on the credits. So that performance that should have been buried in the middle of the night, everyone sees it. After 10 years, Janice decides to hit back at the high school bullies who made her life a misery. So, she goes home to the class reunion for the one and only time. It's horrific. Henry Kissinger had more luck with the Viet song. Janice has ridiculed these people for years. They despise her even more than they used to. One of her biographers calls Port Arthur a town without pity. He's not wrong. The leaders of women's liberation aren't entirely happy with Janice either. Some of them see her promiscuity as a sellout to male dominance. She's wild, dangerous, unpredictable. Janice? She says she couldn't care less. She says, you are what you settle for. She says, if they settle for being somebody's dishwasher, that's their own fucking problem. How can they attack me? I just do what I want to do and what feels right. Janice is back in LA now, this time with the Full Tilt Boogie Band. They groove in the studio to record Pearl. It'll be her last album, and it'll sell more than all the others. The song you know? It's called Mercedes Benz, and it's almost tossed off. She sings it straight to Mike, a cappella, a one-take, throwaway masterpiece. I'd like to do a song of great social and political import, she says to the amusement of the band. They listen in silence. At the end, Janice dissolves in a childlike giggle. She sounds happy, lighthearted, even though it's about the futility of materialism. With the mic still on, she turns to the guys and says, <laughs> that's all. When they turn the lights down in the recording studio, there's no sense of doom. She says goodnight. She says she'll see them tomorrow to put down one last vocal track. She drives her Porsche through the night, up through the Hollywood Hills to the landmark motor hotel. She gets some change from the desk clerk to buy cigarettes and goes up to room 105, where she's been living by herself for three months. When the police arrive, around 1 a.m., they find Janice face down on the floor in her nightie, wedged between the bed and a nightstand. Her lips cut, her jaws broken. She looks like she fell forward unconscious. She still has a few dollar bills in her hand and plenty of wine, vodka and heroin in her bloodstream. There's a far-fetched theory that Janice was checking out to join Jimi Hendrix, her one-time lover. Three weeks earlier in London, he choked to death on his own vomit. The following summer, Jim Morrison would be with them too. None of them reached 28. All drank hard and took too many drugs. All were blessed and cursed by the genius that made them different. Perfect for a one-night stay. That's all it says in the blurb for the Highland Gardens Hotel, as the landmark is now called. You can go sleep in room 105 for a couple of hundred bucks if you want. 
it's not much to pay to save the life of a legend. Or maybe don't do that. Maybe let sweet Janice rest in peace. All her life, Janice wrote songs that were achingly sad. She never wanted much. Just a pair of arms to hold her close. Even if it was just for one night. As Ma Rennie said, They don't care nothing about me. All they want is my voice. This episode was written by Kevin Mitchell and performed by me, Esmond Cole. It was edited by Crawford Blair. If you enjoyed, please subscribe and leave us a good review. It really means a lot to us. For research, we read Scars of Sweet Paradise, The Life and Times of Janis Joplin by Alice Eccles. Love, Janice by her sister, Laura. And Break On Through, The Life and Death of Jim Morrison by James Riordan and Jerry Pojnicki. We use the archives of Rolling Stone, The Washington Post, The Dick Cavett Show, Vulture.com, and ClassicBands.com. And we watch the documentary, Janis Joplin, Little Girl Blue. The music we used is from BMG Production Music. But if you want to listen to some Janis Joplin, start with Crybaby for how raw it is. Then, me and Bobby McGee, for the softness and melody. And finish with Summertime, because no one sings that classic quite like Janice. Or, if you want another podcast, try our other episodes about Jim Morrison or John Lennon. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast.